Thanks for tuning into the Woods Edge Student Ministry Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. For more information, you can go to woodsedge.org or look us up on Facebook under Woods Edge Students. It is God's privilege to conceal things, to hide things, to keep secrets. And it is the king's privilege to discover them. Who is the king in this verse? It's me. It's you. We are royalty in the eyes of God. Every single person in this room is a king or a queen in the eyes of God. You're princes and princesses in the eyes of God. And God has hid things. He has placed secret moments throughout your entire life. And if you walk according to his will, you will find them like Easter eggs in a field or treasure under the sea. He has placed these moments in your life, these Kairos moments, for you to walk into and be like, oh my God, and him to go, that's right. I've been waiting for this for you. I knew you would meet your wife at that art gallery in Carmel. I knew that you would get offered that job in that moment and that time. And thank you for praying to me that morning so I could say, you need to get out and go to Randall's or Chick-fil-A or, you know, ExxonMobil, for those of you that like gas. All right. So God has placed these moments. And so what that means to me, that translates to me, is life is a scavenger hunt. Our entire life is like this great beautiful scavenger hunt where God has hidden these beautiful little prizes and moments throughout, and we get to go and find them. I mean, who doesn't love a good Easter egg hunt or a good scavenger hunt? I mean, God wrote on your heart, in your mind, before you were born, that you were going to be a treasure finder. My wife is so committed to this idea of finding treasure, and I guarantee one day I'll be up here and I'll talk about how she found treasure. Uh, She literally prays that God would let her find treasure. Like you read about those people, they go to Arkansas and the diamond mine thing, and you pay to go and just dig, and you find like an $8 million rock. Like she prays that will happen, and I guarantee it will happen. The only drawback is she doesn't want to use it to make money. She just wants to keep it and put it on the shelf. I'm like, come on, let's get daddy a new car. But no. So life is like a treasure hunt. Who doesn't love a treasure hunt? Does anybody want to do a treasure hunt right now? I need a volunteer. Sam, you're fir- you were the first one up. Come on up here real fast. Give it up for Sam. All right. I have created a treasure hunt for you, Sam. And it's got three clues, but I, I didn't have forethought. Uh, I'm, I don't have a first clue to get you to the first clue. So where do we put our tithes and offerings in this room? Uh, over there and oh, just over there. Okay. Go over there and look in the tithe box and tell me what you find. Oh, the suspense. Is there anything in there? Yes. Okay, read it aloud to the room. I rhymed these, just so you know. Um. Roses are red, violets are blue. Just be eager, Boom. Bring it on, baby. I wanted to make it easy. You never know. Right there. All right. Clue two. Stairway to heaven, lean to the right. Clue number two is under a light switch. All right. Stairway, what could that mean? <laughs> now, I may have been thinking that you would be facing me when you read that, so lean, lean to that, that, the other right. The other right. And please, take your time, but hurry up. All right, under, if only there was a light there. Oh, how convenient. That's amazing. All right, nice and loud. All right, head to the sound booth and look up high. Could anything be back there? 
that normally isn't. What is it, Sam? Well, get it. Don't break my sound booth. Well done. Good teamwork. All right, give it up for Sam. He wins. You guys, if we don't get up in the morning and ask the Lord, what would you have for me today, we miss moments like that. If Sam had stayed in bed this morning, he wouldn't be holding that beautiful Batman cup full of starbursts and other yummy things. All right, so... I have been praying about um, our end of spring, beginning of summer teaching series and wondering what it should be. And you guys know that I love this phrase, look for the good. And we had these sunglasses last year that said on the side of them, look for the good. And so uh, I've I've been wanting to do a sermon series on that, but I want to know if that's what the Lord wants me to do. And so on Tuesday, in my quiet time, I sat down with the Lord and I had a conversation. I was just like, hey, God, what do you think about this sermon series idea? And so here's what I prayed. I'll just read you a, a snippet from my journal. Good morning, Father. Thank you for today. Thank you for a fun afternoon with my team yesterday because we're student pastors and we just totally went and saw a movie in the afternoon. It was awesome. While you were at school. Suckers. All right. I pray that you will bless our work today just as you blessed our play yesterday. I still need to write this Sunday sermon and I want it to be a special one. I ask that you give me a passage to teach on, but if you would speak to me about something else this morning, I'm listening because I've found it's not wise to put God in a box what? Okay. He did. He did. He said, you're doing great, Justin. Keep it up. All right. So I opened my Bible at random, trusting that he's going to open it to where I would, you know, where he would want me. Why? Why, Emma? So I open up, and of all the pages of the 66 books that are in there, I could have opened to the Psalms. I could have opened to Revelation. I could open to anything. But I opened to that one page in the middle of your Bible, where it's the cover page for the New Testament and then a blank page. And I'm like, there's no scripture here. It just says New Testament. Like, I'm at the doormat of the next half of the book, and I'm like, I don't know what to, this doesn't make sense. And I'm like, all right, look for the good. I literally told myself that. And then it just, like a light, I'm like, okay, I'm asking if he wants me to look for the good. And I've literally opened to the beginning, the, the cornerstone the literal doormat to the New Testament. We've got the Old Testament that's looking forward to Jesus, and then we got the New Testament, right? And I'm praying, and I'm like, God, is, do you, is this what, you're using this to speak to me and say yes to this idea for the look for the good? And he's a resounding yes as I'm staring. It just says New Testament, the New Covenant. Because the New Testament, the New Covenant, the good news is the greatest look for the good moment in the entire Bible. That every single one of us have free access to a life lived free of sin and death. Not just a great life on earth, but a great life in heaven. He's saying the New Testament is where it's at. And yes, I want you to do a series on Look for the Good. So I respond in my quiet time and I write out, you make all things new. Every morning is a new day. Every evening, a fresh rest. Every weekend, another Sabbath. Every few months, a brand new season. That's the God that we worship and serve, a God of new. You make all things new. We may cry ourselves to sleep, but we wake with a fresh perspective. We break a leg only to discover a stronger bone once it heals. You make funny beeping sounds in the middle of my sermon, but I'm okay with it. 
You make all things new. Generations of whole families and entire nations have lived and longed for the age that we're in. Your most trusted prophets lived and died without getting to read the words that we have at our fingertips. You guys, do you understand that? We get to read the New Testament. What the prophets longed for, begged for, looked for, and never saw, we have that book at our fingertips all day, every day. I hope you're reading your Bible. What a gift. You make all things new. We are living in a brand new day that you have made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let it be good and help us look for the good. So I'm thinking, all right, we're going to do a sermon series on look for the good. Where should we start? I mean, I can look for the good in this, that, or the other. What topic should we start with? And it occurred to me, if you can learn to look for the good in tough stuff, how much easier to look for the good in the easy stuff. And so today, we kick off a new series, Look for the Good, and we're going to focus on how to look for the good in conflict, right? So I asked God to give me a scripture to talk about how to look for the good in conflict. And I'm thinking this verse is coming to my mind about strength being too small, like I need to have the right mentality in tough times. And I'm thinking of this verse, so I type in Google, strength too small, and it gives me the verse reference, and I go over to BibleGateway.com, and I type in the reference, and there it is. If you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. And that speaks to me a lot. Like, I want to learn to look for the good, and if my strength is too small, and I fail under pressure, like, how do I get around that? So I'm praying about that, and I'm reading that verse, and I'm looking up what it means. But I'd never read the three verses ahead of it in the Proverbs that actually tie together. I didn't know that these four verses were meant to be read together. So Proverbs chapter 24, 7 through 10 says, no bing on that. That would have been appropriate. All right. 24, 7 through 10. Wisdom is too lofty for fools. Among leaders at the city gate, they have nothing to say. And a person who plans evil will get a reputation as a troublemaker. The schemes of a fool are sinful, and everyone detests a mocker. Therefore, doesn't say it, but it's there. If you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. If someone is mocking you and you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. If you're dealing with some foolishness, whether your own or someone else's, and you fail under that pressure, your strength is too small. If you have a troublemaker making trouble for you and you don't handle that person, that situation, God's way, you will fail and your strength was too small. There is good news in this tough passage. And I want to just, I'm literally going to cruise through this. I went through it line by line with the junior high, but I'll tell you, this verse spoke to me in general because this is great for looking for the good in conflict, but I have been living this for a little bit of a season in ministry recently. And I'm going to wade into sharing a little bit about that with you guys this morning. And it's unscripted, so give me grace. But sticking with the scripture at hand, verse 1 Wisdom is too lofty for fools. What's wisdom? Who can define wisdom for me? Where does wisdom start? Are you raising your hand, Bean? Well, I bet you know the answer. The beginning of wisdom is what? What do you got, Kevin? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Anybody out there fear God? Some? Like if he was in here and I asked, wouldn't you be like, me? Right? And he's in here. And I asked, you guys, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does that mean? It means God is sovereign. God is holy. God's the man. God made you. God can end you. You should fear him. You should respect him. And you should hold him in like 
awe, awe and wonder. He's so amazing. We can't even begin to grasp how good he is. And fearing the Lord means this. We do things God's way, not our way. Fearing the Lord means you obey this book, you obey its commandments. And when tough times come and tough people come and tough attitudes come, fear the Lord and look at his word and decide, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to walk, even though it's totally counter cultural. To fear the Lord in tough circumstances means you're not a troublemaker, you're a peacemaker. If your friends are fighting, are you fueling the fire or are you breathing words of peace to both parties? If something is facing you and you know I can lie and get out of it for a minute, is that your bent or are you going to be a truth teller even when it hurts? God's people tell the truth all the time. I used to embellish my story. I still struggle with it a little, little bit. I used to embellish my stories as a kid, and people paid more attention to me because I caught a fish this big. No, I didn't. And I would embellish. And then I realized if I just straight up lie and tell stories that never even happened, anything could have happened, and I start just lying. And basically, all my friends think all these crazy things. None of it was happening to me, and it all started with a little bit of embellishment. You guys, God's children fear the Lord, and they tell the truth. And another great point, when you're dealing with tough people or yourself, God's people fear the Lord, and so they are great forgivers. We need to be excellent forgivers. We need to be quick to forgive, because how much did Jesus forgive us? Do we really have a right to hold something over somebody else's head? All right. Among leaders at the city gate, they have nothing to say. This is a tougher one in this passage. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but here's something that comes to me from this passage, this verse. Among the leaders at the city gate, they have nothing to say. Fools have nothing to say when you speak the truth in love, right? If you stand up for what's right, if you stand up for the, pre the teachings of God's word, and you don't just speak the truth, which is, you need to obey this or you're going to hell. Nobody's going to respond to that. But if you speak the truth and say, God, my heart breaks for where you're at, for what's going on. My heart breaks that you're so confused. My heart breaks because I know what you feel like. But here's some truth. If you speak the truth in love, what is that mocker, that fool, going to say to that? I'm going to tell you the truth, but I'm going to tell you in a way that like, lets you know I am for you and I love you and I don't care how different you are or how different we see this issue. Speak the truth in love, you guys. That's fearing the Lord. Because I have access to a lot of truth in this book, and I could use it to just walk up and smack some of you guys in the face. But it's better when I say, Nadia, I, I love you, and this choice you made, I feel, can I just share with you? Rather than, idiot! I'm not referring to anything specific, so you're fine. All right. A person who plans evil will get a reputation as a troublemaker. Anybody in here ever plan evil against somebody? Come on. All right, for those of you not raising your hands, if you didn't raise your hand, if you did raise your hand, have you ever laid awake at night and thought, I could have said that, and man, they would have just wept and peed. Oh, I just would have shut them down if I had said that. You know what that is? That's planning evil. Have you ever been more concerned after a fight or before a fight, I am going to prove you so wrong and you're going to look so silly. I can't wait to get in a room with that person because they're going to feel dumb. 
That's planning evil. And we all do that from time to time. I, I do that. I have been doing that recently, thinking, oh, I can say this. Oh, I can, I can quote that scripture at them. What are they going to do? It's scripture. <laughs> a person who plans evil will get a reputation as a troublemaker. We all plan evil. We all want to take revenge, even though vengeance belongs to the Lord. You guys, don't do that. Don't get sucked into that behavior, because that just makes you the troublemaker, right? And it also allows the true enemy to win. People are not our enemy. I don't care who they are, who that person is that has hurt you, they are not your enemy. The devil is your enemy. Read Ephesians 6. That's your enemy, not people. I don't care who they are or what they've done. They're not your enemy. They're just as broken and busted up as you. My dad, I had a lot of emotions about my dad. And growing up, he was my enemy. I mean, he hurt me physically, emotionally. Um, he would hit me, and he was my enemy. And as I got older, I was able to ask my dad some questions about, like, when he was my age. And I'm like, oh, my God. I had no idea he went through like that. It doesn't justify that the things he did with me were okay, but it gave me understanding that my dad grew up in a, an alcoholic household where, the, where he was not, you know, smacked with a ring upside down, but beaten. All of us are broken. All of us are busted up. People are not our enemy. All of us are hurt and desperate. The Bible says that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. And a lot of times, you guys, especially those of us in this room who are Christians, will take truth and try to right people and try to perfect people. But if Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, what business do I have trying to perfect you? I can't do that. I can give you some guidance. I can share a sermon. But only God can perfect. So if you're thinking, I'm going to fix them, man, pray for them instead. Jesus says, Pray for those who persecute you. He doesn't even call them your enemies. He said, pray for those who persecute you. We should be praying for people that are against us. And at the end of the day, as the scripture says, we don't need to point other people's faults out. They point themselves out. The minute that I get obsessed with pointing out Jediah's faults, I'm just a big, ugly finger pointer. I've taken attention off the fact that, man, that kid dresses funny. No. Don't get sucked into it. I need to pray for you, Jediah, so much. All right, don't get sucked into that. Look for the good. Here's the good. If you have some inkling of discernment or understanding about a, a shortcoming of a friend of yours, you have keen wisdom in how to pray for that person. If you just know that Daniel lies or that Jenny steals or that Jonathan is in a fight club at night, and nobody knows about it. You know how to pray for that person better than anyone else. Don't use your understanding of people's shortcomings to destroy them. Use it to pray for them. And the other good news is you don't have to fight. Somebody comes against you. Somebody talks bad about you. Somebody undercuts you. You don't have to fight. Let the Lord defend you. Let the Lord redeem you. The schemes of a fool are sinful, and everyone detests a mocker. Does anybody know what a mocker is? What words come to mind when you hear mocker? Give me some feedback. What? A bully? Absolutely. A bully would be considered a mocker. What kind of behavior do mockers carry out? Anybody? Give me some. 
They mock people. What's up, baby? I like it. They totally mock people. I got some definitions for you guys. A mocker is someone to speak of or treat people with contempt, like hate, like I wish the worst on you. That's a mocker. A mocker is a negative person. A mocker is a hateful person. Do you have a mocker in your life? I bet you do. I love this quote. There will always be a Judas at your table. Jesus Christ, 12 disciples, one of them was a mocker, didn't believe, didn't have faith, was stealing from the ministry for years, but Jesus was like, it's okay, God will take care of Judas. I mean, Jesus, Jesus could have been like, you know, but he didn't. He said, I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm not going to get into it. I'm going to pray for Judas, even as he's betraying me. I'm going to pray for Judas. There will always be a Judas at your table. If you try and live a life where there's no bad people around you, you're going to be really alone. The good news is you don't have to fight. And the schemes of a fool are sinful, and everyone detests a mocker. And isn't that true? And let me ask you this. Who detests a mocker, a hateful person, a negative person, more than anyone else? The mocker themselves. Don't you just find yourself hating on yourself when you're living wrong, when you're doing wrong, when you've hurt somebody's feelings and you know that you went too far? Don't you just sit and sulk and hate and more and you're like, well, I got to do something to like, make them feel like I, like nobody hates a mocker more than the mocker themselves. I hate myself when I've said something horrible to Brooke. Or early on in our marriage, I would say stuff to Brooke that would just shatter her. She would just cry and crumple. And as much as she hated me in those moments, and I'm standing there just like, that's right. Inside my heart, I was like, I am garbage. I can't believe. I, and I would quote scripture at her while I was doing it. I've been a Christian longer than you. So, bing. All right. Nobody hates a mocker more than the mocker themselves. Uh, if you need proof, look at me. So, mocker hates themselves more often than not, and they want other people to feel the same way they do, as lost as they are, as alone as they are. So I'm thinking of Mocker, and I'm like, I want to show the kids like a clip, because by this point in the message, I will have talked for a long time. And I'm like, What's, who's a Mocker in a, a good movie? Anybody seen Tombstone before? Wyatt Earp movie, Doc Holliday, the Cowboys and stuff? Not many of you. It's a really great film. Um, Tombstone is a more or less true account of Wyatt Earp, and the OK Corral, big shoot 'em up Western type thing. And there's this guy in this movie called Johnny Ringo, and he's based on a real dude. And Johnny Ringo was a man filled with hate, a man bent on revenge. And all he wanted to do was kill Wyatt and kill Doc and kill the Earp family. So I'm going to show you a clip. And here's Johnny Ringo, and just look at his face and hear his words and how bent he is on hurt hurting other people. And then the next scene is Wyatt and Doc, and they're just trying to figure out, like, why is he so horrible? Why does he want to kill? And as you watch this, like, resonate with the truth of the dialogue going on between Wyatt and Doc. I'm done with Wyatt Earp. Take your cowboys and finish off Creek Johnson and Texas Jack. 
You burn them, Ike. Burn them all. Hell, Johnny. He ain't even gonna show. Yeah! He'll show. I spent my whole life not knowing what I wanted out of life. Just chasing my tail. Now, for the first time, I know exactly what I want. And who? That's the damnable misery of it. Makes a man like Ringo, Doc. Makes him do the things he does. A man like Ringo... got a great empty hole right to the middle of him. He can never kill enough or steal enough or inflict enough pain to ever fill it. What does he need? Revenge. Why does he hate so much? What does he need? Revenge. For what? Being born. That's how much hate was in that man. I mean, these are real accounts. Murder, mayhem, slaughter, all because this man hated so much. And all of his hate and all of his grievous acts didn't bring him any solace, any help, any healing. You guys, those one-liners in there were just money. And I don't know if you caught them, but I want to just cruise through a couple things that they just said. So the first one that stood out to me was, a man like Ringo has a great empty hole right through the middle of him. Every one of us in this room has that great empty hole right through the middle of us. That hole that cries out, why am I here? Why do good things happen? Why do bad things happen? What's the meaning of it all? What's with genocide? What's with terrorism? What's with race and racism? That hole inside of us that screams out that can never be satisfied, that wants to take vengeance on people when they hurt us, that wants to defend ourselves against the whole world. We all have that hole inside of us. And I would say it's not a great empty hole so much as it's a God-sized hole right in the middle of us. And if you have ever placed your faith in Jesus, if you have ever said, Jesus, come and fill me, very pertinent language, fill me up, then you know that that hole actually can be filled. But if you are trying to fill that hole in you with drugs or sex or popularity or success, you know, and you are knowing more and more the further you go down that road, you'll never be filled. And we all have the capability of ending up like Ringo at a place where we're like, I could kill that person. I have felt that way about people. We all have that hole and nothing can fill it but Jesus. And it's there for a reason so that we will know, I need Jesus. I need rescue. I can't escape this. What are you trying to fill that hole in your heart with? The first commandment of the 10 says this, have no other gods before me. That's what God said. Look, I want to teach you guys how to live right on the earth, and here's rule number one. Do not have any gods, any idols before me. I'm your God. I made you. 
I know what makes you tick. I know how to make you happy. I know how to protect you. So don't let anything stand between you and me. I need to be number one, not because I'm the boss, but because I love you and I'm your father. But you guys, we all put things before God. Can never kill enough, steal enough, or afflict enough pain to fill that hole. You guys can never do, and I've tried, you can never do enough drugs to fill that hole. You can never run far enough away from home. You can never have enough boys like you or turn enough girls' heads. You can never put enough people down, and you can never get enough gold stars on your report card. Nothing can satisfy that hole in you but Jesus Christ. And some of you have put your faith in Jesus, but like you're reserving part of yourself. Man, give it all to him. And some of you haven't put any faith in Jesus, but you're like, well, I try to live a good life. You guys, that hole is going to eat you. It's like a black hole. It's going to suck itself in eventually. And we all make idols out of something. We make idols out of people. We make idols out of substances. We make idols out of causes, out of our actions. And my question to you today is, where are you finding your worth? What are you turning to to make yourself feel good that's not God? Because that's an idol. Are you turning to a relationship, a boy, girl, parents? I'll give you some quick examples of the idols in my life. What I turn to for my self-worth from when I was a little boy to a grown man. My first idol in my life, even before I was a Christian, I knew that he was an idol, was my older brother, Darren. He was 10 years older than me, and everything he did was amazing. Like when he walked, rainbows followed. Like I was just like, he is awesome. I want to be just like him. And all I wanted was for Darren to love me, to like me, to approve of me. And all my young life, I remember trying to pursue him and get him to notice me. But Darren had some funky history with me, and I didn't even know it, having to do with the fact that my dad was not his dad. He's my stepbrother. And so he hated me just because I was my father's son. And so I'm trying to earn his favor, and all the while, he wishes I wasn't even around. How disappointed do you think that 10-year-old Justin was when I would try to impress him and his friends when they would have sleepovers, and their fun for me was to shoot me with a pellet gun as I lay in bed? That was my idol. Drugs, sex, alcohol, relationships you know you shouldn't be in is like you pursuing something, and it's just shooting you right in the heart. My second idol were my parents. When I was a kid, my sister, as a freshman at Oak Ridge High School, she lettered in track, volleyball, basketball, and she was in the Science Academy. She, could, she was the golden child. And then you got Justin, right? I don't even know what to say. I just a student, right? I was just at school. It's like, what's up? So my junior year, when Autumn did all those amazing things, I'm like, well, I'm going to do something great. And I went out for the soccer team. I made the soccer team. I started for the soccer team, and all I wanted was my parents to come to my game. And I, game one, I played, no parents. They were at Autumn's game. Game two, no parents. They were at the science fair. Game three, game four, game five, the whole season, they came to one game for 20 minutes left before I scored. I told them about it, and they're like, did you really score? You guys, my parents were my idol, and it left me just, that hole just grew. Because now, instead of just hating myself and my sister, I hate them too. Because I, even as parents, you can put your parents on too high of a pedestal. Only God should be up here. After my parents, it was my girlfriend my senior year. 
I'm going to do everything I can to get her to love me like no one else does. And that went pretty well for me, to a point. To the point where I loved her so much and spoiled her so much that I was so clingy that she just bailed on me and I was slaughtered. Like, I was devastated. I gave everything I had to this relationship. And when she left, I was destroyed. And the only thing I could think to do at the time was, I'll just get another girlfriend. Because she had gone out and got another boyfriend. So I got another one. Did that work out for me? No. So I got another one. And I got another one. And I am not lying. For 10 years, I went from girl to girl to girl. I was never single for more than a month trying to fill that hole that only God could fill. And it was at the end of drugs and alcohol and disappointment and my final relationship where I'm like, Jesus, my life is horrible. What's the deal? And he's like, buddy, I'm right here. Like, come on, bring it in. And so I I brought it in. And he put his arms around me when I confessed my faith in 10 years of just misery gone. As he's like, I love you and I've got you. You guys... We have holes in us that only God can fill. And if you're trying to fill it with anything but him, you know you're miserable. You know it ends in pain and suffering. It does not have to. You, today, before you, Jesus, fill me up. I, I need you right now. I pray it every morning. Jesus, fill me up. Because if I had anything good the day before, I probably, hopefully, served and given some of it away, so I need to be filled Or if I haven't read my Bible, I don't have any truth in me, fill me up. I ask every day, I ask throughout the day, and every time I ask, he's faithful. And he gives, and he gives, and he keeps giving the way that drugs and alcohol and relationships can't. He's a giver, so ask, because he's just waiting to give to you. I needed all those people to love me in my life, and it just didn't work out for me. And then I found Jesus, and then Jesus filled me up. And I am not here to brag in front of you guys. All I need in this moment in time is for just to know God loves me. And I know that. And because I know that God loves me no matter what, I can literally go out tomorrow and have the worst day of my life, make the worst decisions I've ever made. But at the end of the day, I will know God still loves me. And it just makes it okay. It just gives me peace. I don't ever have to worry about disappointing the Lord, and neither do you. I can't do anything to take any of his love away. He will never love me less than right now. He will never love me more than right now. There's so much peace to be found in knowing that Jesus loves us that much. But you need to give all of yourself to him. You can invite him in and keep these things, this area over here. You know, I I like to party on the weekends. I'll give you five days. That weekend is going to kill you. I I like to be obedient here, but she's so hot. So I'm just going to keep you know, within the stuff, that's going to eat your lunch. I can say a lot about that. Um, I can screw everything up tomorrow with my family and my wife, but God will still love me. I ain't going to be proud of my actions, but it'll be okay. There's so much boldness and confidence to be found in that. Um, Hate. Meeting that mocker with mockery. Hate solidifies hate. Hate um, makes hate stronger and worse and ickier and more painful. But love transforms. Forgiveness transforms. It makes something ugly brand new. This hard husk of of a cocoon of hate can break open in a day 
a single moment with love and forgiveness, and boom, butterfly, right? Who do you need to forgive today? Who's been mocking you that you've been plotting against that you just need to be like, Jesus, they're yours. I don't want it anymore. I give them to you. I give that behavior to you. You guys, all that's going to happen as a result of that is love and peace and joy and freedom. Isn't that what you're looking for in those other things? Take it. Ask for it. I'll give you a, a dumb story that was so powerful to me about the power of love and forgiveness and grace. My buddy Jason Shepard, who hired me in this role, before we worked together, I went to Turkey with him on my first mission trip. And we're in Turkey, and I'm, I'm kind of developing my skills as a photographer with a camera. And I asked to look at his pictures on his camera, and I'm looking at them, and there's a fuzzy one, and I go to delete it as he's sitting next to me, and I deleted every picture on his camera. And I was like, oh, dude, I'm sorry. I just, we're at the end of the trip. He'd been taking pictures. He'd never been to Turkey. Pictures of everything. I deleted every picture. And as a photographer, I'm like, I just, like, it was huge. And he looks at me, and he, he's not trying to make me feel bad, but I'm like, oh, he's upset. And I was like, did you download it? And he's, he's like, no, um, all of the pictures from all of the student events this year were on that memory card, and I hadn't downloaded them. So I didn't just erase his pictures from Turkey. I erased his pictures from Freedom. I erased his pictures from Fall Retreat. I erased his pictures from just hanging out with students in the fort. They're gone. Memory's gone. And I'm, as a photographer, like, I'm just going to go over here and die now because I can't imagine how upset you are. And in a second, I, I saw it happen. I didn't believe it, even though I saw it. He just, in that moment, and said, I forgive you. They're only pictures. And he meant that with all, he meant it so much that I had to ask him like 10 times, are you sure you wrote, and he's like, I forgive you. He never brought it up again. He never told anyone about it. He forgave me. And that love, that grace transformed me in that moment. I'm like, I, I could have taken that moment and beat myself up about it for the rest of my life. But now I can just talk about it because I'm like, what an idiot, but I don't care because he didn't. That's the power of grace and love and forgiveness. Love transforms, but meeting hate with hate and mockery with mockery, it just takes you down to their level and hurts everyone. Who, I ask again, do you need to forgive? Where in your own life do you need to forgive yourself? How can Jesus fill you up today? I'm going to invite the band to come up here. We're going to respond. We're all guilty of being the fool sometimes, right? We are. We're all guilty of mocking or we've been the victim of mockery sometimes. Until we learn to see ourselves through God's eyes, those things will dominate our lives. We need, we are desperate to see ourselves through the lens of that cross. So our sermon series, Look for the Good, you need to look at yourself on your worst day through imagining your worst mistake. What's the most awful thing that's been plaguing you as I've talked this morning? Think about it and give it to Jesus and look at it through Jesus' eyes. Because you know what Jesus is saying in light of whatever you're thinking of? I love you. I forgive you. It's okay. It's okay. Chill out. Relax. I have great things in store for you that do not involve you just walking around whipping yourself. 
We need to desperately learn to look at ourselves through the eyes of Jesus. And so here's how we're going to respond today. We have our mirrors around the room from one night. And they're full of great words that we wrote down about ourselves during worship. And we're going to do the same thing today. We're going to take a minute. We're going to look in this mirror. And we're going to write out, right on the glass, nice and neat would be preferred. Correct spelling would be preferred. How God sees us. How we need to see ourselves. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray us into this moment. And as you feel led, we've got tithe and communion, so take advantage. But come up to one of these mirrors in an unhurried fashion and just write out whatever he says. He might just reaffirm for you, you are my son. You are my daughter. You're my princess, my king. Don't be afraid. He might put a scripture on your heart. He might show you a picture of you just like huge and powerful and awesome. Write it out, whatever it looks like. And just know it's going to encourage other people to see it. I'm going to read you guys a prayer request I saw this week, and then I'm going to pray us into this moment. But this is the power that we have in this moment right now. I picked up a prayer request on Tuesday. You guys know as a staff, we pray over prayer requests from Big Church every Tuesday, 60 of us in this room. And I picked one up this week that so ministered to my heart, and here's what it said. This man I'll never know wrote out this. Please pray for me that I would rest in Jesus' finished work in my life. Oh, that is awesome. May I rest in Jesus' finished, forgiving, perfecting work in my life. I pray for freedom from obsessive thoughts or any wrong mindset or false concept or lie from either the enemy or myself. I only want to think what's true and right and good. Please pray that I would not be me or circumstance conscious, but only Jesus Christ conscious. Can you imagine if you could walk through an entire day only thinking as Jesus thinks about you? What an, it'd be the best day of your life. And that's what he's asking for. And I prayed for this guy, but I so needed that prayer. It's been my prayer every day since. May we be Jesus conscious, not us or circumstance or punishment conscious. So bow your heads with me and let me pray for us and lead us into this moment. Jesus, right now, we just commit that this summer is going to be about looking for the good. We're going to look for the good in every circumstance. We're going to look for the good in ourselves, in our families, in our friends. We're going to look for the good in conflict. Next week, we're going to talk about looking for the good in sin. There's good to be found. So open our eyes, open our physical eyes, open our spiritual eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to look for the good, to call it out. You call us witnesses of the greatest news that there is that we do not have to live as victims, as punishers or punished. We get to live as free, as beautiful, as sons and daughters, as royalty. Help us look for the good. Right now, may everyone in this room in their own way, in their own words, just say this to you. Jesus, show me how you see me. You guys pray that to the Lord right now. Jesus, show me how you see me. Listen for his response. Look for it. before we can see the good in others, in our circumstances, we need to see it. We're desperate to see it in ourselves. So fill this room with 
beautiful pictures with beautiful words, maybe some scripture of how you see us and then move us to go and proclaim it on these mirrors. We surrender this time of response to you and trust in faith that you're going to speak. Amen. You guys respond as you feel led all around the room. Thanks for listening to the Woods Edge Student Ministry Podcast. Please feel free to share copies of this podcast, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information, please visit woodsedge.org or find us on Facebook under Woods Edge Students.